G'day everyone, I'm Josh, and I'm going to read you the Bible today. Uh, today, the reading is from Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1 to 7. Uh, if you open up your handout, it should just be one of those small little boxes. It's the second one on the first page of the t- outline. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David. King of Israel, for attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. Let the discerning get guidance, for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. All right. Well, uh, I want to hazard a guess, a stab in the dark that maybe sometime in your life you've made a dumb decision. Is that true of any of you? Now, you stayed up so late, you slept through the exam. You went out one day and you didn't take the umbrella or the jacket and it rained and you just got saturated. Or maybe you, brought, you bought that bargain that was too good to be true and it turned out to be too good to be true. A total waste of money. You misread the signals and you thought they were interested in you, but when you tried to hold their hand, it backfired. (laughs) Or me, I drove up a one-way street in a bus, the wrong way. It just happened to be the street that the police station and the courthouse were in. (laughs) What we need is wisdom. What we want desperately often is wisdom. And lots of people offer us wisdom. Financial advisors are offering you wisdom of what to do with your no money that you've got. A lot of lifestyle television is about wisdom. Real estate, what sort of properties to buy that will increase in value. How to to renovate so that your house will be a better place to sell. Um, The the how-to books, Dummy's Guide to Windows or Finance or whatever it might be, are all about wisdom. And UWA is no different. The official motto of UWA is still seek wisdom. Now, the founders thought that that's what uni education should be about, not necessarily just passing exams and getting a ticket to a career or even pursue impossible, but seek wisdom. And the Bible endorses that desire for wisdom. The book of Proverbs that we're starting today, we'll be looking at for the next five weeks, is a book all about wisdom. Other books in the Bible are called wisdom books. Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, Job, and James in the New Testament. But what is wisdom? If you've read any of Proverbs at all, familiar with it, you'll know that it feels a bit different to a lot of the rest of the Bible. It's little aphorisms, these two-line sayings. A man's own folly ruins his life, yet his heart rages against the Lord. It observes something about the world. Now, things go wrong because we make none decisions. What do we do? We blame God. Well, men do anyway. Well, wealth brings many friends, but a poor man's friends desert him. Have you seen that happen? Somebody wins lotto, they get a windfall, they suddenly got money, and they got all the friends you could ever want. 
They don't have money. They've got no friends. Notice it doesn't tell you what to do. It just makes an observation about the world. That encapsulates something of wisdom. Now, wisdom's different to intelligence. Intelligence is probably what got you a seat at the University of WA, but here are things that are wise. Four things. Ants, creatures of little strength. Conies, that's rabbits. Creatures of little power, yet they make their homes in the crags. Locusts, they're not known for getting into UWA with high ATARs, are they? Yet they advance together in ranks. Lizards can be caught with a hand, yet found in king's palaces. It's not an IQ. It's something to do with the skill of living successfully. See, ants have that. They're not very strong, are they? You get a few ants, just squash them between your fingers, couldn't you? Snash, uh, snap out their, their lights, their life. But we can't get rid of them at our place. They just keep coming back and back and back. They're not very strong, but there's something persistent. They've got a wisdom about them that endures. Wisdom is about that insight, that understanding to make good decisions across a wide variety of life, of everything that life throws at you. It's practical knowledge, not just books and theory. <clears throat> some of you will graduate from this esteemed institution at some point in life and you'll get a job and the first thing you'll experience when you get the job is you haven't got a clue how to do it. <clears throat> you might have all the learning in the world but you don't actually know how to do the job. You lack wisdom. Wisdom is that practicality, the art of successfully living in the real world of families and work and sport and friendships and economics. It's the insight and understanding to navigate the challenges, the opportunities that daily life throws up. So wisdom allows you to, to, to do, make good decisions, the opposite of those dumb decisions, to make the right call, to sleep at the right time, to buy the bargain that really is a bargain. And as I mentioned, it's sort of different to the rest of the Bible. It, it feels different. The rest of the Bible is actually this huge storyline, this epic story from creation to new creation. And slap bang in the middle is Jesus and all that God, God does in Jesus. But Proverbs sort of stands outside that. It, it's wisdom that's true anywhere, anytime. It shares themes with other parts of the Bible. It, it, here's, here's how the law and the, the wisdom and prophets deal with false testimony and lies. The law says, don't do it. Proverbs, the prophets say, you're doing it, God will take some action. Proverbs doesn't do either of that. It just sort of sits back and says, you know what? A false witness never goes unpunished. A person who pours out lies won't go free. It, it looks at the cause and the effect. What happens when you tell lies? And so it's dealing with the same themes, but it deals with it differently. The opening paragraph tunes us into what wisdom is about that uh, was read to us earlier. It gives us something about the purpose of wisdom. It's for attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair. That is, wisdom helps to make you wise, gives you the understanding and insight, so you can live a disciplined and prudent life. Now, prudent isn't a word we use very much these days, does it? It sort of smacks of being a prudish or something, but that's not the idea. It's a, a careful life. It's the opposite of a thoughtless, impulsive, reckless life. It's for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. Let the discerning get guidance. His purpose is to help people who are simple, who are naive, who don't yet know the ways of the world, 
so they can understand. But it's even good for the wise, those who've already got some wisdom, they can learn and grow and blossom in wisdom from wisdom. So the foolish, sorry, the naive and the wise, that covers most of us, doesn't it? It's for you. And the form, as we've seen, are these proverbs, which are what I call parables or riddles of the wise. That is, they're not delivered to you as instructions that you just implement, you go and do. They don't spoon feed you. They provoke you to think and reflect. Ecclesiastes actually calls them goads. Like a, you know when you get a stone in, in your shoe and it, you just, it irritates you and you, you can't focus on anything else till you get it out of your shoe. Well, a, a proverb is like that. It's meant to goad you, meant to irritate you till it gets under your skin and you start to see what it's saying. It's not learnt, wrote from a book. It isn't a set of rules. When this happens, do that. It's not like Windows for Dummy or those YouTube videos on how to do something, which just give you all the mechanics of stuff. No, it's proverbial wisdom, which all cultures have. We have it in English. Too many cooks spoil the broth. Now, it's not actually about cooking. It's an insight into life, into the way things work, that helps you make good decisions. Other cultures have it as well. Here's one from Proverbs. Wealth brings many friends. We've seen that one. Here's one from Confucius. Confucius say, it does not matter how slowly you go, as long as you do not stop. There's a bit of wisdom. It's, it's an observation about the world. Or I hear and I forget, I see and I remember. I do and I understand. Again, notice there's no instructions in it. It's, that, that's what happens. And if you can understand, you get insight into what happens, it's good for you. Here's an African one. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. It's good, isn't it? It's it's helpful. It helps you think about your own life and what you're doing and make better decisions. Haste makes waste. Here's another one. Sometimes haste is good, but sometimes it's not. Working out when is part of the difficulty. They're memorable. They encapsulate what you might call common sense. But Proverbs sees it slightly different to that because the beginning of knowledge and wisdom is not common sense but the fear of the Lord. So that introductory little section, chapter 1, verses 1 to 7, finishes with this this saying that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And the section, chapters 1 to 9, finishes with saying the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Biblical wisdom has a different foundation than just common sense. Its starting point is the fear of Yahweh, the God of Israel. In the Bible, it's the fool who says there is no God. Not the clever person, not the intelligentsia, but the fool who suppresses the truth of God's reality, of him being the creator of everything, and builds their life on a lie. The lie that I'm independent. Somehow I own my own life. It's mine to do with as I please. I'm at the centre of my universe. That's actually a fantasy. It's not true. You build your life on a fantasy, you'll end up in ridiculous places. But to fear God is the beginning of wisdom, to recognise that he's God and I'm not. I live at his pleasure. And therefore I come before him humbly, tremblingly acknowledging that he's at the centre of the world. His will prevails, not mine. And true wisdom begins to flow. Think about gender. That's one of the topical issues at the moment, isn't it? 
Now, most people have worked out that there's a difference between men and women. Have you worked that out yet? Men and women are sort of different. There's obvious differences that permeate fairly deeply. And the more people do research on it, the more we, we, we understand that that gender difference is built into the very fabric of our person, into our DNA, into our genetics, as well as to the externals. Now, there are some people where that, that's confused and that's a difficult situation, but for most people, it's not at all. But what do you do with that difference? How do you bring wisdom to that observation? Now, some people say difference means unequal. If we're different, then something is, is wrong. Therefore, what we must do is eradicate difference. So if you go to some places in Sweden at the moment and you go to a preschool in Sweden, they are not allowed to call any of them boys or girls. They're not allowed to use the pronouns in Swedish, he or she. You must use Z of everybody. They're trying to eradicate all gender differences because they think that gender means unequal. Some people see though gender differences means we're competitors. People who are different to me are the enemy. We're not supposed to become equal. We're supposed to get them down because they put us down. Feminism and the masculine response to that tends to take that approach. What will the fear of the Lord do? I take it we'll listen to what God says about gender and his purposes for the differences. If we don't do that, we'll just be lost. We'll, we'll be foolish. And God reveals that the differences are meant to be complementary. So the two fit together and work together. Therefore, we value and enjoy the differences rather than suppress them or compete. Well, let's backtrack a minute about wisdom. We see from Proverbs chapter 1 that many of these proverbs come from a guy called King Solomon. Solomon was the king of Israel in about 900 BC, if you just want to try and get a picture on it. He was the third king of Israel after Saul and David. When he was uh, uh, um, crowned as king, God said to him, Ask of me whatever you want and I'll give it to you. And Solomon said, what I want from you, God, is a discerning heart to govern the people. That is, he asked for wisdom. And God said, because you asked for wisdom, not wealth or power, I'll give you wisdom and wealth and power. And he became one of the greatest kings of the world of his time. And he was known for his wisdom. Straight after that incident, we're told uh, an incident that gives us an insight into Solomon's wisdom. Two prostitutes turn up before him with a baby disputing who's the mother. Both saying, I'm the mother. This baby, I, I should have it. And Solomon says, cut it in two. <laughs> I mean, my immediate reaction to that is, that's pretty stupid, isn't it? You kill a baby just to settle an argument. But one of the women came and fell at Solomon's feet crying and said, no, please don't cut it in two. I'd prefer it go to the other woman than you cut it in two. And Solomon said, she's the mother, give it to her. Do you see the wisdom of that? Now, he didn't have rules to apply. There were no laws to, to work out that situation. What he had was insight. We might call it psychology. He knew what maternal instinct was like. And he used that to solve an, an unsolvable situation. In a brilliant way. That's wisdom. And many of the Proverbs come from the hand of King Solomon. We're told that God gave Solomon wisdom and great insight, a breadth of understanding. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the men of the East, greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. That is, Solomon's wisdom was not different to secular wisdom, religion from other cultures. It was just better than it. The same sort of wisdom, but it outstripped it. 
He spoke 3,000 proverbs. His songs numbered 1,005. He described plant life from the cedars of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows in the walls. He taught about animals, birds, reptiles. That is, he observed his world. He did biology and anatomy. He, he, he looked at uh, the world around him as part of his wisdom. But it's interesting to see what he does with that. Here's some of his wisdom about ants. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer, gathers its food as harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a bandit, scarcity like an armed man. With ants, he didn't simply dissect them and count how many legs they had. He observed the wisdom of their lives. Without a commander, a ruler, they store up provision to survive uh, through winter and live again. There's wisdom there to be learnt by us humans. And what's that saying to us? It's saying that wisdom is available to us. It's possible because of creation. In Proverbs chapter 8, we get this very important little passage where wisdom herself speaks to us and describes herself. She says, "'The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works.'" Before his days of old, I was appointed from eternity. I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep. That is, when God created the world, wisdom was already there. It's not a human invention. It actually comes from God himself. And when God created the world, wisdom was there not just as a spectator. I was the craftsman at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence. That is, wisdom was active when God created uh, uh, wisdom uh, meant that creation was an expression of God's wisdom. God's wisdom permeates, it infuses all that God has made. And we see that, don't we? This world is not a chaotic mess, but brilliantly designed, a functioning cosmos. And many of you are studying aspects of that. That's what your degree is about. Sin has damaged it, but it still displays the wisdom of God. That is... There's order in this creation. It's designed to work in a predictable way. I drop a pencil, let it go. Which direction does it go? It goes down. I do it again, it goes down. I do it again, it goes down. It just keeps doing it. It's, it's reliable. It has this order to it. Uh, chemistry. Uh, baking cakes is chemistry, isn't it? Many of you are chemists. It, 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 it should work the same way every time. I know it doesn't always because of you, but... Normally it should work. So you follow the, the instructions and out comes the cake. It's not just the initial conditions of creation, it's the ongoing sustaining in an ordered way. It's true of biology and physics and chemistry, but it's also true of human behaviour and psychology and sociology and politics and economics. There's order to the way the world works. Of course, God runs it in an ordered way. His wisdom infuses it. You tell lies, the lies will come back to bite. There's cause and effect in this world. Of course, God imposes his order. His wisdom rules our world. And that means if God rules our world with order, then that order is open to observation and investigation. You can do empirical work on it. Empirical methods work. And God has given us the capacity to discern the order in this world, the order that that permeates creation. And when you discern the order, wisdom is discerning it and then living in harmony with that order. 
going, if you like, with the grain, not against the grain, not across the grain, but with the grain of the way God runs his world. That's what wisdom is. Now, some levels, that, that's pretty banal. I know that I let go of a pencil that drops, so don't step off the top of a tall building. You'll probably drop, and it'll be painful. But there's more profound wisdom than that. Wealth brings many friends, but a poor man's friends deserts him. There's an observation about human behaviour, not about gravity, not about physics, but psychology. And it, if you start to think about it, it raises all sorts of questions about our own experiences. Like, if I've got lots of friends, is it just because I've got some money or something else that other people want? Are they real friends? Is the reason I haven't got friends is because they're so dumb. They think that wealth is the only thing that you would, would make you want to be friends. It, it raises all sorts of questions just by giving you this observation about life in order to provoke you to become wise. Now, it's worth noting here that both Christians and non-Christians can discern the order in creation, can acquire wisdom, at least some of it. And the Proverbs come to us as distilled wisdom, as wisdom distilled into these little aphorisms that state the observation. This is what happens. This is better than that. Here's back to... This is Proverbs 26. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you'll be like him yourself. Have you seen that happen? Somebody's being really stupid, and you start to engage in the conversation, and pretty soon you're saying as stupid things as they're saying. You experience that? It happens, doesn't it? But notice what the next one says. Answer a fool according to his folly, or he'll be wise in his own eyes. Seen that happen? Somebody's going on really stupidly and no one says anything and he just carries on. It's always a he, isn't it? Always carries on as if he's clever, as if what he's saying is profound and good and everyone should listen. If you don't answer them, they'll just carry on in their foolishness. So what are you supposed to do? Answer them or not answer them? Proverbs doesn't tell you. Do you understand? These two are side by side. It's not an instruction manual. Instead, it gives you insight into how the world works so you become wiser, so you can make the best decision in the particular situation that you find yourself in. It actually takes wisdom to apply Proverbs. It builds on itself. It's not rules, it's insight. So how do you use? Well, they invite you to reflect, to get on the wavelength of each of these aphorisms, these proverbial sayings, to chew them over, incorporate them into your thinking. Because they're generalisations, they're not always true. Here's one that has been misused by many Christians. Train a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he won't return from it. Now, this is Proverbs. This is not a promise from God. If you take this as a promise from God, well, you do. If you're, you have children and they go a bit wild, you'll say, it must be my fault. Well, it may be, but it may not be. Because this is generally true. It's not true in every situation. It's not guaranteed to be true. We need to understand them as generalisations, not as promises from God. So, where do you get wisdom then? Well, true wisdom comes from observation and experience. You don't get it from doing courses, from reading books. It's learned from experiencing life, the school of hard knocks, you might say. It's learned by making mistakes and learning from them. I stayed up too late. I missed the exam. I'm not going to do that again. That's wisdom. 
But experience doesn't always work, does it? Have you made the same mistake more than once? Twice? (laughs) Many times? It takes more than the experience to get wise. You need to reflect on your experience, discern the order in God's world that's behind your experience and change, apply that insight. But are there any shortcuts? Well, actually there are. See, the school of hard knocks is a very slow, long school, isn't it? It'll take you all your life to gain that sort of wisdom. Can you get a shortcut? Well, yes, you can do it by observation. That is, you don't have to go through the experience. You can watch other people go through the experience and learn from them. Have you ever done that? I presume you have. (laughs) You've seen people make dumb decisions and you think, I won't do that. Look what happens. And that's why research is a helpful thing. Research is learning from other people's observations. They do the hard work, I learn from them. But Proverbs takes that a step further. Proverbs is the distilled wisdom of the wise. Those who've learnt the hard road, the hard way, well, we can stand on their shoulders because they've collected their wisdom together, Solomon and Agar and uh, Lemuel and, and others, so that we can become wise. The Proverbs are for us attaining wisdom and discipline, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life. They'll help us do that. We can stand on their shoulders. But as we read the Proverbs, we need to remember it's not like anatomy where you just wrote, learn a whole lot of stuff. See, I reckon you could memorise every proverb in the book of Proverbs and be none the wiser. Because they're riddles. They're Proverbs. They're meant to provoke you to reflect, to recognise and to incorporate that insight into your own life. Yes, they're a shortcut, but they don't spoon-feed you. The aim is for you to become wise and insightful, not to tell you what to do. Hidden away, just near the Reed Library in one of the gardens, overgrown now by the, the ferns and trees around it, is a plaque that represents what UWA was supposed to be about. Seek wisdom. It's almost like UWA is a bit embarrassed by, because that no longer is what they aspire to. But in our public meetings for the rest of this semester, that's what we'll be doing. We'll be seeking wisdom, seeking to gain wisdom from God. I hope you're up for it. I hope you want to come back and explore this fantastic book of Proverbs, because uh, I presume you're sick of making dumb decisions. So three take-homes for today. Three things to to, to take on board and to think about. The first is, God's desire for us is wisdom. The very existence of the book of Proverbs in the Bible tells us something critical. God wants us as his people to become wise. See, the Christian life is not a life simply of following rules and regulations. It's not a life of saying to God, God, I don't know what to do unless you give me detailed instructions to follow for every decision I make. Now, it's only the naive and immature who need that. They need to be told what to do all the time. But God wants us to grow in wisdom, to grow into maturity so we don't need to be told. We don't need guidance about every decision. I don't know if you've noticed this, but as you read the Bible, there's actually a huge amount of freedom as a Christian. We follow Jesus, but there's no detailed instructions about all sorts of things, where to live, what course to do at uni, Who to marry? There are some limitations. It's sort of like you're in this huge open paddock and there's some fences in the distance. Stop you going completely wrong, but 
within the paddock, it's all freedom. How do we work out how to use that freedom? For some people, it's petrifying. We're paralysed by freedom. I, I just want God to tell me what to do. What does God say? He says, no, I want you to become wise. I want you to be able to work out how to use your freedom. It's interesting that one of the prayers that Paul prays in the New Testament is this. This is my prayer for you Philippians, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so you may discern what is best. Paul doesn't say, I pray that God will tell you what to do. He says, I pray that God will fill you with knowledge and depth of insight. That's wisdom language. Then you'll be able to work out what's the best thing to do. You'll have the insight and discernment to do that. Understand how God runs his world so you can live effectively with that insight. Secondly, secular wisdom. What this implies, I think, is that secular wisdom, wisdom that's created, generated by those who know nothing of God, can be really useful. You don't have to be a Christian to perceive and investigate the order of God's world. Research can, use, can uh, yield brilliant and useful results. And that old guy next door who maybe you don't want to talk to, but who's seen a bit of life and might be able to teach you a thing or two about life. At uni, you have the enormous privilege of learning from the research of others and maybe you get to do a little bit of it your own. Although normally you only research what other people have already researched. Um, can I say, don't be afraid of research. You don't have to censor research that isn't done by Christians. But also remember that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Without that foundation, often our research might uh, show us true things about the world, but what we do with that, the conclusions we draw from it, could actually be completely wrong because we start at the wrong starting point, like gender. So God's desire for us is wisdom. Secondly, secular wisdom can be really valuable. Thirdly, though, we need to think a little bit more about God's wisdom and God's ways in Jesus Christ. See, if true wisdom involves insight into how God runs his world, then you've got to include Jesus in that because Jesus is at the centre of the way God runs his world. It was all made through him and for him. If you don't know that, if you don't appreciate that, you'll get it wrong. And Jesus is at the centre of God's actions to redeem the world. His master plan that's in full swing now centres on Jesus, especially his death and resurrection. And we saw this, I think, in week two of semester, back in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul says, I preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. That is, the wise of this world, says Paul, foolishly dismiss Jesus as irrelevant, as done. I'm not interested in some guy who got himself crucified. There's no power in that. There's no, it's not very clever, is it? But in fact, says Paul, what this world dismisses, what human wisdom dismisses as foolish, is the centre of God's power and wisdom. That crucifixion of Jesus, the height of shameful, hideous, embarrassing ignominy, the backblocks of the Roman Empire in the midst of ancient history, was actually the wisest, smartest, most powerful event in human history. It's the means by which God turns the whole tide of evil and death 
so his wayward creatures could be rescued and given eternal life. It's brilliant. The whole way it does it is brilliant. Do you realise with the death of Jesus, you have value without pride. I don't know anything else that can do that for you. It's brilliantly wise. That's why I'm going to NYC. We're going to spend a week exploring the cross of Christ and all the wisdom and the power of the cross. It's going to take us more than a week to delve into that. There's more there than we can do in a week, but I wouldn't miss it for the world. Wisdom is not simply secular common sense. To secular common sense, the cross is dumb. But it's actually the wisdom of God. You want true wisdom? That's the starting place. The fear of the Lord. The cross of Christ. That's where we should start. That will be our foundation. That's what we'll build on over the next few weeks. Yeah. You got any questions or comments? Got a few minutes left. Henry. So like you said, uh, the non-biblical proverbs and stuff, they can be useful as well. Okay. One thing I was wondering is like sometimes I felt like certain things contradicted each other, like um don't throw your egg in one basket and the hunter who chases two rabbits will be misplaced. And like another one, like too many cooks spoil the broth and two heads are better than one. Like sort of what's with that? What? Did people hear the question? Uh, I think Henry's question is uh, often the, the sort of the wisdom proverbs we have in our, our culture contradict each other. What, what's with that? Um, let me say that. Did you see that's true of the biblical ones as well? Because they're generalisations, they will not be true in every situation. Um, and so too many cooks spoil the broth. Many hands make light work. Like they're in tension with each other. But they're both true, aren't they? They both have a truth, a reality, a wisdom, an insight in them. And wisdom is being able to, to use that. Now, it, you, there was a first part to your question, which I think I've just forgotten. Secular wisdom. Yeah, well, and then, yeah, I was just saying, like, yeah. sometimes the, the same seems Yep, and I'm saying the biblical ones do as well, as we've seen in Proverbs 26. Um, and that helps us get on the right wavelength of what wisdom is. They are generalisations about the order of the world. They're not always true. Yeah, it's a case-by-case thing, and it's being wise is not just, okay, I use rule X in this situation. It's insight into how the whole thing works, the different dynamics that might be at play so I can make the best decision. And that's never just one proverb that solves it. It's a whole um, character of wisdom that's built up. I hear, I hear the rustling of papers. That means we want to finish? Okay. Um, let's pray, and then I'll hand back to Lewis. Lord God, we thank you that wisdom is available to us. Please forgive us not just for dumb things we've done, but for not wanting to be wise. And we pray that, especially over these next few weeks, you will help us to become wiser people who, who through insight, are able to discern what is best. In Jesus' name. Amen.